episode 53, a sequel to the Fast and Furious franchise. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. Coming to you live from Dom's Garage, this is Sequel Quest. With us today, myself, Jeremy, Adam, and Jeff. Hey, guys. Hey. Yep. hey. <laughs> I'm feeling the need for speed. Wrong franchise. No, we did speed. That was like a year ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My bad. My bad. <laughs> this week, we're covering not speed. We are covering the Fast and the Furious franchise. All eight of them so far. They just keep coming, man. I'm scared that they're going to have eight Transformers movies, too. Oh, they have 13 more in the works already. No, oh. don't tell me that. But that Bumblebee spinoff set in the 80s, I think that's going to be the only good Transformers film. Yeah, good is definitely a loose term. And that was one of the things for me why I've been saying that we need to do Fast and the Furious. Not that I'm a Fast and the Furious fan, but this is the number one franchise in the history of movies. It has made, what did we say that the total gross was? I got it here. It is five billion billion. Billion! That's five insanity! I do have a correction here real quick before we get too deep in and before we get too many mad emails. The Fast franchise is not the highest grossing. What? It's actually number six on the list. No. So here's How the is top, that possible? Here's the top ten. Jurassic Park with $3.7 Transformers with $4.4 Pirates with $4.5 X-Men with $5 Fast and the Furious with $5.1 Then you have... Peter Jackson's Middle Earth, all of the Lord of the Rings and all that, $5.9 billion. Did it really beat it? I didn't know that. James Bond took him 24 films to get $6.8 billion. Number three is Star Wars with $7.6 billion. All the Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts with just over $8.5 billion. And the number one grossing cinematic franchise is the MCU with twelve and a half billion. Oh, that doesn't count. That's not <laughs> that's a not franchise. A yeah, it, no, it is a franchise. No, it's they are not. all connected. No, I don't <laughs> buy that one. It's not in yeah, the same way. It's not the same storyline. But I mean, point taken. Though, Technically, I it is. Uh, it actually has a better overarching storyline than the Fast franchise, which isn't saying much. <laughs> that's true. If we're going to start talking about how great the story is, that's a good point. But, it, I mean, that's really surprising because, to me at least, because billion-dollar movies is a pretty new thing. It's just well, because there's so many of them? Well, but Fast and Furious, PG-13 franchise, you know, that cuts out. You know, you're, you're not bringing your five-year-old. A parent is going to think twice before they take their kid, especially just like... With the opening scene of every Fast and Furious film being a bunch of girls' butts hanging out of their short shorts, sure. like that, I don't think moms are on board bunch with that. Bunch of girls' butts. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think for me, and it it seems like 
as opposed to some of the other franchises, it seems like they're making more and more money. And it's not like I don't think they're getting better and better. It's still just the same formula, but it keeps working. And that's the other reason for us to do it besides the sheer numbers of the cash is the fact that if a sequel is going to make a lot of money, they're going to make another sequel and they're going to make another sequel. This Fast and the Furious, I think, is one of the safest bets that Hollywood has. Is if we put out a Fast and the Furious movie, we can virtually guarantee a billion dollars. Well, it's right there with Mission Impossible, right? It's like Vin Diesel goes off and does his side projects, you know, so he'll do The Last Witch Hunter or bring Triple X back and try to make that a franchise that everybody still doesn't care about. But, you know, uh-huh. same with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise goes away, does his movies that most people ignore that he comes back and does a mission impossible doing his own stunts and everybody's on board i guess everybody knows cars and everybody likes bald guys i don't know if you get vin diesel in the role i think it's so funny that he is the face of the franchise because he abandoned it after the first film and yeah. took took some time off and then eventually came back when all his other side projects didn't work out like Triple X and, uh, you know, even the Riddick films. I don't know if anybody is really a fan of Pitch Black or maybe not because, yeah, you like because of Vin Diesel or you just like the movie itself? I like the movie itself. He's spectacular. He creates one of the greatest characters I've ever seen on film in Pitch Black. Riddick is like there's Riddick and there's the Terminator and then there's maybe like Oh gosh, I don't I don't know if I can name another character that is as butt kicking as Riddick is. He's awesome. And he's Vin Diesel, so but <laughs> I saw yeah, the pacifier. <laughs> yeah, well that, that's a, probably a better example of his not panning out. Now I'm not a huge Fast and the Furious fan, but from the people that are, I've heard that in the fifth movie when the rock shows up that's where it got a new life and that's where people got started getting excited about it for real is that accurate well that's where they kind of rebooted the concept that's actually the first fast and furious film i ever saw i avoided the franchise i (laughs) literally do not have any interest in cars which is a shame because my dad is a total gearhead he was always tinkering with his old cars. He was always trying to teach me how to work under the hood. I had zero interest. Even his house at my dad's house, literally just years and years of car and driver, motor trend. He just has stacks of magazines and he knows them back to front. And so it's it's just crazy that I, I am not an automobile enthusiast. And so I just did not have any interest in seeing Fast and Furious from the beginning until I found out, oh, they're going to be showing it D-Box seating, you know, and I was a nut for D-Box at the time. I was like, well, what better franchise for it than, a, you know, a driving franchise where your seat is literally going to be moving for the whole two hours. And I enjoyed it, especially with The Rock in there. I think that's where it really became this special forces, top secret, saving the world somehow, uh, even though they kind of still had a criminal bent to them. I think that's the funniest thing, too, is Jeff, going back to your point about that, you know, it's a sure bet. It wasn't always that way. Oh, no, no. For movie buffs, the first movie was Point Break. It was the exact same premise, but instead of surfers, they were car racers. Like, it was the exact same thing with an undercover cop that blah, 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 blah. And, And we were even talking about it earlier that on Wikipedia, it says it was actually based on this article that somebody wrote about street racers in New York. 
And they decided to like, hey, well, why don't we do that movie point break with these cars from this article? And, you know, it was okay. Paul Walker, you, you know, you want to remember him fondly, but he's not a, a great actor. He was, he was <laughs> he's likable known... enough. Yeah. He's likable, and he was a pretty, like, a pretty boy. But that smile, Jeff, <laughs> that's what won us over. Yeah. A little charisma yeah. and that smile. and. But that's what's so funny is, I mean, we mentioned earlier, Vin Diesel makes the first one. He's kind of the villain in that film or anti-hero, yeah. however you want to look at it. And then he's gone after the first one. Paul Walker now is the star of this franchise, according to the second film. You know, teaming up with Tyrese Gibson, and now he's out there fighting drug lords, doing whatever he's doing. And then they're just like, okay, well, that didn't work, probably because of the point that Jeff just made. Paul Walker, nice guy, seemingly, but <laughs> does he does he have screen presence? Eh, just barely. Then we get to the third film, where they're like, well, those two were okay, but they really didn't set the world on fire. Let's go ahead and take it a whole different direction. Tokyo Drift. And I have to say, that was the only Fast and Furious film that I was actually interested in. It wasn't enough to get me there, but seeing the trailer, <laughs> I was like, hey, at least it's cool. It's got neon lights. It's Tokyo. And that is the only Fast and Furious film now that I actually own and I watch oh. on a regular basis. I love that film. It is so wacky and fun. And Han is like the coolest guy in the room. He's the Asian Brad Pitt. Like if you look at him in every scene of that film, he's got a snack and he's always just eating, you know, he's doing his eating <laughs> business, you know? So, but he's just so cool. He's always just chill, hanging back, just enjoying the moment. Got his pulse on what's going on. He's like smartest guy in the room. I love Han, man. So I was so happy when I saw, wait, he's in Fast Five? Even though he's dead? Sweet! Okay, maybe I will stick with this franchise then. Yeah, Tokyo Drift was actually the lowest grossing of them because it starred neither Dom nor Brian, except for, like, a little cameo at the end. They were like, oh, we need to get Dom in this somehow. Um, yeah, and it totally... It, and even though they've tried to bring it into the universe, you know, as they modified the timeline, and it's still, like, it doesn't really matter. You know, like, the Lucas Black's character, he doesn't come back except, again, for a brief cameo. But it's just like, they're like, oh, no, no, that, that really didn't happen, so don't, don't worry about it. You know, that's that's not important <laughs> to anything other than we want Han because he's cool. And I'm like, yes, I will, I will agree with that. Excellent choice. So to go back to your point, I really got hooked around five. I had seen the other ones kind of off and on. I'd seen parts, I'd seen pieces, I'd seen the whole thing on some of them. But I wasn't really into it until five hit, and there was oh, this is kind of over the top, let's watch it. And from there, it's just like, what will they do next? You know, we are comparing it to the MCU or saying that the MCU reigns supreme, but they've essentially become superheroes at this point, right? They, they started out where they were, like we said, basically a street gang doing heists and stealing DVD players from trucks on the right. road. And then now they literally are untouchable. They fly off of cliffs or whatever they do, you know, and they just, there's never a, a scratch or a drop of blood on Dom or Hobbs with the rock. And you're kind of like, all right, you know, they can fly out of windows and land on cars, whatever. They could bend steel bars with their bare hands, lift up a whole car. That was the most ridiculous thing to me in Seven when they're in Dubai and Dom and Brian are trying to steal this car from this 
a high rise and Dom literally is just holding the car for like f- a five minute scene. So Brian can get <laughs> under it. I'm just like, come on. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've seen strongman competitions on ESPN too, but I don't think they could do it for that long. <laughs> well, granted you have to realize that fast of a car has to have a lot of weight taken out. So it is plausible probably a stretch but <laughs> it's within the realm of possibility that's a good point that's a good point i consider that that yes they had to remove as much weight as they could to, to get the speed they need okay okay furious physics got it yeah exactly you know you can try this at home yeah. <laughs> well like but the, the interesting thing is you know we're saying how popular this franchise has become there have been films before that were based around cars right like going back even to i know uh, i think it was like late 60s maybe 1970 but there was a, a movie called bullet that i know that a lot of people go right. back to that oh, was yeah. with steve mcqueen you know it was like a huge deal you know it's racing around san francisco that was like the first stunt car action film that was really big and then there was gone in 60 seconds which was then remade with nicholas cage but again like these are films that have their place but i don't know how many people ever consider like well yeah i need more of that I mean, Smokey and the Bandit, I guess, got three yeah, films yeah, out of that, that. That's true. They but did that, those. Well, I feel that, like for that, usually... the charisma of Burt Reynolds, and I don't know what Fast and true. Furious has the charisma of anything, unless well, it's Tyrese. No, it's, no it's, it's Vin Diesel. I mean, Vin Diesel is, you know, the coolest man on the planet at this point. Or maybe The Rock is now. I don't know. But it is interesting that it's kind of like traditionally, I mean, like you go back to even like the French connection. Traditionally, a car chase is an exciting element in a larger action film. And so to instead make, what if we make a film with nothing but car chases? If that's the only action that takes place in it, I don't know that that's unique per se, but it's it's different. It's not the traditional mentality, I guess, to have this many car chases. I'm assuming they have more than one car chase in each movie. Otherwise, oh, yeah. why generally, are we generally. This? Yeah, I mean, that's their bread and butter. But like, exactly. yeah, like, yeah, like you said, Jeff, I mean, it's usually used to either pump up the stakes or just give you some excitement in the middle of a film like Blues Brothers. You know, and that's an amazing yeah, car yeah. chase, but that's not the point of the film. And yet it's such a memorable moment of it, you know, that you can't forget them driving through a mall and demolishing well, it. And that's where I feel like, like you're saying, Adam, like as a, as a device used in movies, I feel like a car chase serves to kind of speed up the momentum of the movie because you can't do like a car chase and then have a slow walk down the beach like no 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 you're gonna do a car chase and it's gonna be running and it's gonna be blah, 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 blah. it really builds the speed the tempo of what's happening so from one perspective to make an entire movie around car chases like it would have to be this frenetic go 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 and leave the audience panting at the end i mean again i don't know how successfully these movies do that pacing wise it must be somewhat successfully i mean again they keep making billions of dollars so (laughs) well because it's so pivotal because it's so constant that they're in the cars because that is their identity is being in the cars and doing what they do they play around with you know getting back to physics and just the way things work like there are scenes like i was just watching uh fate of the furious before we uh, recorded tonight and there are scenes where letty and dom they're driving next to each other while they're in the middle of this mission and letty's like looking over at dom as if they're just like in a room together noticing that he's got something on his mind while they're driving 
driving 100 miles per hour. And she's like, you all right? Like, she just talks to him through the car window, which is not down. They don't mention anything about having radios or microphones They do have radios. They do. They do. Okay. (laughs) But I was just, like, looking at that. I was like, that is silly. (laughs) Take an emotional beat while you're driving, you know, 120 miles an hour. I just – it's – Interesting, I guess. Interesting mm. choice. Well, it's funny for me. I well, and again, I've 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 only seen the first one, so I, I I'm familiar with the the other ones, and you know, again, just the I don't know cultural impact. You can't be unaware that these are out there because they're everywhere, and they seem to come out once a year or so. But for that first movie, again, kind of with that whole pacing thing, I was actually at a friend's party late into the night watching this movie. And I had actually rented a car because my car was in a shop. And so I had rented a 1997 Ford Mustang. And I was driving my friend home after that party. And she just like leaned over and she was just after watching this movie. She was like, when this light turns green, gun it. I'm like, what? No, I'm not going to gun it. If you know anything about me, I like to drive 65 miles an hour on the freeway. And no, no, she, she just kept, come on, you wimp, gun it, gun it. All right, all right. So I did. I put the pedal to the metal. And then we get onto the freeway, and I'm driving her home. And it's like, you know, 2 in the morning. She's like, I bet you anything, you could push it up to 70. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. I bet you could go 80. Well, what about 90? We ended up doing, I think, 95 down the freeway, and I am freaking out, but she's loving it. She's just like, you know, that adrenaline flow that was coming down. And then after I drop her off, driving back home, and it's like 3 in the morning now, so I'm like, well, maybe I will go like 80 or 85. I think I had just pushed it up to 85 when all of a sudden this car just goes, and speeds <laughs> past me. He must have been going 110 <laughs> miles an hour, literally. And then just as he passes me, I look over to the right and I see that there's a highway patrol car on the side of the freeway. My guess is this guy must have seen it and slammed on his brakes at 110 miles an hour. His car fishtails, slams into the center divider, bounces off and heads straight for me, and I swerve to get out of the way, <laughs> and I've driven 65 miles an hour ever since that moment. Uh, <laughs> that'll learn yeah. Now, I do have to admit, after watching all these movies, you're in there, and you're, the adrenaline's pumping, and you're thinking and going and going and going with these movies, and then you get back into the car, and you're like, oh, man, I just want to go. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure accidents do spike after these movies, but... Well, it, it, yeah, I mean, I see the street racing culture, which these films used to be about, and they always find a way to put in a street race, just obligatory street race, but it has <laughs> yeah, nothing course. to do with the plot. But I used to actually, on a regular basis on the California freeways... I would see cars with like big spoilers and tricked out and everything. And it would be like 10 at night or something. And they would be like racing each other on the freeway. So they're literally like weaving in and out of traffic and just going all over the place and hitting, you know, 95, 100. And I just, I can't believe it. But I, it's like a mentality. I do not understand how you could do something that dangerous and think you're cool, you know, endangering everybody's lives. But at the same time, I'm just like, wow, you know, like it is a spectacle and to see it live you're also like whoa that's kind of nuts and i actually have a buddy who when these films came out in 2001 he started going to street racing and he was actually like a budding filmmaker and he actually is a professional filmmaker now but he 
would film the races. He was there and on a regular basis living the, the culture. I don't think he ever got behind the wheel himself, but he was taking it all in. And we are actually going to have a little bonus episode. So we're going to interview him about those experiences. So if you want the real deal, you want to know what it was like in California, the street racing scene in the early 2000s, we'll give you a little hint of that, I guess. So be sure to tune in to our, our bonus episode coming out just shortly after this. But let me ask you guys, though, before we get into our pitches and imagine where you could possibly take this franchise, it's car porn. Whenever they see mm-hmm. them, like, in a warehouse or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're always like, oh, baby, yeah. You know, people who love cars, I'm sure, just can't wait to see what they're going to break out for these films. But for you, is there a car you have owned that meant a lot to you that was special or one that maybe you dreamed about owning someday? Jeremy? Well, probably the one that uh, means the most to me right now is the one that I put the most money into, and it is my Ford Fiesta. Nothing too masculine (laughs) there. (laughs) Now, could Vin Diesel lift that car? That's the question. Oh, easy. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I could go out and lift it. Yeah, if needed. But it's also something like I've always tried to own manual transmission cars it's a control thing and also like in my head i know i can get off the line faster than another car even with a car that has terrible power i've beat some cars off the line at stoplights and things wow yeah did you start the the race did you challenge them or did they rev up next to you i only go until about 40 miles an hour and that's when i know they're gonna overtake me (laughs) i know i can control my power output up until 40 miles an hour so i've beaten some good cars to 40 miles an hour and then i let them go Now, I can't even drive stick. Multiple people have tried to teach me, including Jeff, our buddy Bill from high school, tried to take me out at a party once. I I just mentioned I didn't know how to drive stick. And he's like, what? I'm going to teach you. I'm the best teacher. And he takes me out outside of this uh, drainage canal, this, you know, service road. And he's like, all right. You know, he's giving me all the tips. You know, got to push in the clutch, do all this. And it's just not computing for me. And we're just like lurching forward, getting neck injuries. He was like, all right, all right. You you know what? Many people have tried. Everyone has failed. So automatic all the way for me. But what about you, Jeff? What has been your your pride and joy behind the wheel? Yeah, I'm not necessarily a car guy. You know, I don't have like this, oh man, if I could just get this car. or Like that's not really my thing. But my thing is, I am a... What's a nice way of saying it? Thrifty? (laughs) No, no, no. no. I don't want to call myself cheap. I just want to say that I appreciate the cost of things being minimal. And (laughs) um, so consequently, like when I go into the the shop for my car and they say, oh, it's going to be, you know, $600 to replace your radiator. I'm going to go on eBay and go, well, wait a minute. I can buy a radiator for 40 bucks. It can't be that hard to replace your radiator. So I've done a lot of work on my cars just to save money. I had a, a Nissan Maxima that ran for 21 years <laughs> and nine of those after being nearly totaled in a collision. And yeah, I got 300,000 miles out of that baby. And I, I did uh, I did a lot of work on that one. But I guess my pride and joy, I guess that's the way of saying it. There's just a lot of connection to it is I still have my grandmother's 1957 Mercury Comet that she bought brand new, the first car she'd ever owned. 
gave it to my dad when my dad turned 16, and then he gave it to me when I turned 16. And I've held on to it ever since, and it doesn't run right now. Don't tell the police that. But yeah, I'm going to fix it up to continue the tradition. So, uh, Well, for me, my first car was not quite the same vintage as Jeff's, but like I said, my dad was a car guy, and specifically, he loves classic cars and Mercedes. He loves German engineering, family heritage. He's very loyal to it. So he had a 1966 Mercedes, a sky blue, beautiful car that he had had since about 1968 that he bought from a neighbor and had just kept it running uh, you know, years and years and years. So when the time came, when I finally got my license, which was was not till I was 18. Jeff gave me a lot of rides for many years, as uh, did all my friends. Hey, uh, can you guys pick me up? But I finally got my license and I got that car and it was, it didn't have air conditioning. And the strangest thing about it was that it was an automatic, but it had a situation where you still, the gear shift kind of had a clutch situation in order to make it shift. So it, it was a very strange kind of uh, mechanism where, you know, you had to like rev the engine a certain way to shift it. And I don't know, it's very odd. So in a way, I kind of drove a manual automatic that doesn't really exist, but that's kind of what I was dealing with. So since then, I've always just, again, Cars for me are point A to point B, but I also always want to be entertained by my car. So <laughs> it has a theme. So it, it just, whatever it is, I had a Buick Riviera at one point and the R, I was like, R, like Robin, Batman or Robin. So I got all this Robin paraphernalia and figures and put them on the dash. And so it was the Robin mobile. Then I had a Hyundai Accent and that became my spider mobile. So I got all the interior, you know, I got seat covers, I got floor mats, I got everything. And that was my Spider-Man car. And then nowadays, I have my Ghostbusters mobile powered by Ecto Cooler. That's my Ecto Prius, as it states on the back. So whatever my car, I just try to make it fun. I can't just drive a, you know, a plain old vehicle on the road. Hey, although I feel like it's kind of a bad idea because I'm so memorable that if I cut somebody off or, you know, the police <laughs> catch me exceeding the speed limit, it's like, yep, it was that Ghostbusters car. I'm like, oh. So we've all had our experiences behind the wheel. We've seen some of these films, and the joke has been that they said, where can you possibly take it now? And I know they've said the next stop is Fast and the Furious in space. And then they said, well, the story was good enough. So, Right, but that's always the scenario. Like, if the story is good enough and validates the reason for doing something, then it's going to happen. So is that serious? That's not a joke? They've really said it's going to be in space? Well, no, not for sure, but they, they said it, we're not discounting that. <laughs> right. It, down the road, it will probably go to space. Yeah, Moonraker, well, right? You all know, right, because go I was going to say, I guess my pitch goes a little far, but at this point, then, there is no such thing as a little far. We could set it, you know, and <laughs> in, in, he travels to the past, and it's street racing through the Old West. Who knows? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, let's hear it, Jeff. Do we want a brief overview of the series that way we kind of understand where people are going let's just go back to four and kind of sort out the timeline so we know where where our characters are when we start our sequel so we go back to number four which was fast and furious brian o'connor is working back with the fbi in la teams up with dominic toretto to bring down a heroin importer by infiltrating his operation 
Fast Five, Dominic and his crew plan a massive heist in order to buy their freedom while in the sights of a powerful Brazilian drug lord and dangerous federal agent, Hobbs, The Rock. Fast and Furious 6, Hobbs now reaches out to Dominic and Brian to reassemble the crew to take down a team of mercenaries led by Owen Shaw, played by Luke Evans, Dominic also facing his presumably deceased ex-girlfriend Letty. Then they tie in the third movie in the franchise, Tokyo Drift, where an American teenager becomes a major competitor in the world of drift racing over in Japan after moving in with his father in Tokyo in order to avoid a jail sentence in America. And at the end of Tokyo Drift, we see the death of Han. At the end of Fast and Furious 6, we see the death of Giselle, girlfriend of Han. Then, after Tokyo Drift, comes Furious 7, when Deckard Shaw, played by Jason Statham, seeks revenge against Dominic Toretto and his family for his, his now comatose brother, Owen Shaw. And finally, the fate of the Furious, when a mysterious woman, Cypher, played by Charlize Theron, she seduces Dom into the world of terrorism, threatening the life of Dom's child that he just learned about, and the betrayal of those closest to him. The crew faces trials that will test them as never before, having an enemy that knows them best. And at the end of that one, spoiler warning, Cypher gets away. The Shaw brothers are now working with the crew. They save the day from a Russian nuclear submarine. So that is where we leave off. And Jeff. Okay, so I'll reserve my title for the end because it might give away where we're going here. Mine takes place in the not-so-distant future where we find out, I don't know, montage voiceover i like voiceover let's use vin diesel's voice so we're gonna do like a voiceover where he says that in the not so distant future there is a nuclear conflict in the middle east which serves to irradiate both iran and saudi arabia eliminating the majority of the world's gasoline supply meaning that this huge gas shortage means that there are very few cars and so countries that are especially dependent on automobiles much like the United States and fossil fuels and gasoline, end up collapsing. So the United States collapses into, I don't know, collapses. And um, <laughs> we then see Dom, who is now this solo, I don't know, adventurer who has his car and now travels around trying to find gasoline is one of his main, <laughs> you know, things that he tries to do and ending up in different situations. So the movie starts where, well, other than that, of course, he stops by an abandoned gas station. He's trying to siphon some gas out of their reserve tank. And he sees this child show up who is ogling Dom's charger. I'm, I'm guessing the charger has made a comeback, um, whatever his car is. And says, mister, you need to come and help because my family is being harassed by this band of raiders. So he agrees eventually to go and meet this family. And the family says that, yes, there's these raiders and they've been raiding their livestock and you really need to help us. You know, we're all alone out here and we can't defend ourselves. And please, mister, please. However they convince him, they convince him. So he ends up then confronting the Raiders, which of course results in a high-speed car chase that involves car chases and car chasing. 
And then um, at the conclusion of the car chase, probably some of these raiders die or, or whatever it is. Uh, but then some of the surviving members end up revealing that they're actually the remnants of a cult. But it was not like a cult where they, you know, were devil worshippers or anything like that. They were a cult, but they were also very kind of family oriented. And the reason that they have been raiding this family is because this family apparently keeps taking their people. So then Dom goes back to this family and faces off with them and finds out that when they were saying that these raiders were raiding their livestock, what they meant by livestock were actually these captured people. Now, do we want to make them cannibals? Maybe. Do they just want to be like slavers? They can be slavers. Either one. They're all icky is the point. Um, but anyway, so then we have a massive car chase at the end because then the family turns out that they actually have, I don't know, like a tank or a Humvee, some sort of a something. But either way, at some point, they have to unveil their secret weapon, which ends up being this guy who's chained to the top of a truck and he has a flamethrower at the end of his guitar so that we what? can reenact Fury Road as they're doing their final guitar or their final car chase. Wow. And you didn't bring Charlize Theron back into this whole I know. situation. It would have been so easy, wouldn't it have been? Then we just tied <laughs> the entire thing. Wait, so tell me this, Jeff. So you're saying that Dom becomes Mad Max. So you're just recasting yes. Mad Max and remaking Fury Road. Well, that was the working title I had was Fast and the Furious, Fury Road. <laughs> uh, I still haven't seen that film, but I hear it's a spectacle. We're just going to gradually transfer him into every <laughs> successful franchise out there. So the I next think... time he's going to become Dom Skywalker, and then he's going to take on, you know, this Death Star and in a car. All right, Adam, let's see what you've got. All right. Well, obviously, as I mentioned, I've, I've seen several of the films, but they're not necessarily my cup of tea. But Tokyo Drift was my favorite. I, I like a spinoff series i like the idea of where do you take the franchise that vid diesel is not our focal point i just don't need to watch him for as long as they want me to watch him so i decided to take this in a different direction with a character who has not been in the spotlight yet my film is called fast and furious overdrive so taking place 20 years beyond the current timeline brian and mia's estranged son jack o'connor is a troubled young man who finds himself acting as a getaway driver for a group of criminals who are stealing top-secret tech from a government facility. Their escape is foiled as a single driver is sent to intercept them. And after he causes the car to uh, flip over several times, the driver uh, exits the car, and it turns out it's Jack's Uncle Dom. And he tries to reason with his nephew, asks him to come home, to talk to his parents, which Jack refuses to do based on some unrevealed issue with his dad. And against Jack's wishes, Dom pulls some strings with the government to get the kid a pardon if he agrees to drive as part of their special ops team. So Jack is taken to this facility by Dom, who leaves him there to get briefed on the terms and responsibilities of this work release program by his old friend Mike, who turns out to be Michael Knight. And then Jack is introduced to the rest of the team. We have Missy Murdoch. She's the team engineer who joined the government program to get a pardon for her father, Howling Mad Murdoch, who was accused of a crime he did not commit. And she now drives his black GMC van that's outfitted with ingenious weapons and special features. Missy and Jack kind of build a romantic relationship throughout the film. And she helps him be thankful for a father who's around and wants to be involved in his life since she's barely seen hers throughout her own lifetime. 
Then we have Jules Brown, who is the son of a time traveler who was trapped in the 21st century after taking a joyride in his father's time machine, a hover-converted DeLorean. Now, like, I know the DeLorean was destroyed at the end of Back to the Future Part 3, but I'm basically just saying that Jules went back at some point prior to that and stole the DeLorean from Marty. But anyway, the government has put a regulator on his flux capacitor and blocked the car's temporal homing signal so his father can't come and rescue him until he completes one last mission for them. Next, we have Talon Duke, who is a smooth-talking good old boy who made the mistake of street racing across Fort Knox, which resulted in a chase that lasted three hours and ended in a massive jump across the Little Grand Canyon in Lumpkin, Georgia. He drives an orange Dodge Charger he inherited from his father and his uncle. He and Jack butt heads, often over Missy, but eventually come to respect each other. So Jack is ultimately amazed to meet Knight's talking car, Kit. And he's shut down when he's asked if he could drive the artificial intelligence vehicle. He's instead given a modified police cruiser as his training car. So anyway, Knight takes the team out to intercept a gang of drivers who have been demolishing police stations in Los Angeles, then outrunning any pursuing law enforcement entities. They arrive on the scene to find the wrecking crew, as they call them, led by a sentient semi-truck with a green goblin head on the front who is commanding oh a red Plymouth Fury named Christine and a little white Volkswagen Beetle with the number 53 on it. Oh, so as they're trying to intercept these cars, they scan the vehicles and find no drivers within, but also no automated or remote control driving system. In fact, the cars are too old to allow for such a modification. The team is baffled on how they could be driving themselves, but they take it as a sign that they can take their capture methods to the extreme. So, of course, there's a huge chase and all this battle. The heroes also find that the Green Goblin can somehow bring other cars to life and increase the size of its own posse. So during the intense battle on the road, the Volkswagen seems to be helping Knight's team to avoid serious injury, which causes the Green Goblin to get frustrated and attack more viciously, eventually slamming Kid into a wall and killing Knight in the process. Though the car's computer brain is able to be salvaged. So after mourning the loss of their leader, Kit is installed into a Dodge Challenger and requests Whoa. Jack become his driver, rejecting all other agents uh-huh. who are brought in uh-huh. to take the wheel. So they also find that number 53, the Volkswagen, has followed them back to their base. It indicates through a series of hogs that it would like to join the team, <laughs> acting as their mascot. So a report comes in that the wrecking crew is attacking the San Onofre nuclear generating station. And Jules uses his power down flux capacitor to time jump the team to five minutes before the attack began through a daisy chain connection and as they all reach 88 miles per hour. And after the army of automobile <laughs> drones are defeated, including a Harrier jet from the nearby Miramar Air Force Base that leaves the rest of the team incapacitated, Jack and Kit have a showdown with the Green Goblin on the beach, where the semi-truck is tricked into hitting the ocean and sinking deep into the depths of the sea. Then, when that mission is complete, everybody is given their reward. Missy's dad is parted. Jules is given the freedom to travel back to his own time and rejoin his family. And, you know, Talon just decides he's going to stick around. But having a heart-to-heart conversation about fathers with Kit, Jack 
decides that he's going to call his dad, but finds out that Kit has already dialed Brian's cell phone for him. And Jack makes up with his dad, agrees to meet with his parents for Thanksgiving, inviting Missy along to join him as credits roll. Wow. <laughs> That's the only thing that would get me back in the theater for a Fast and Furious. <laughs> but if they cut out Herbie the Love Bug, then forget it. The whole thing's off. Oh, he's their mascot. You got to have him. He's the heart of the whole film. He probably even sacrifices himself as part of the you know final battle, I'm sure. We'd, we'd have to throw that in. Now, is the Green Goblin, is that from Maximum Overdrive? Where is that it. from? Yes, okay. Maximum Overdrive. Wow. It, it's, it's just one of those things. I was like, how can I get all the most iconic vehicles outside? You know, at, at one point, I was even like, can I somehow get Johnny Blaze into this? Can I get Ghost Rider's motorcycle? But I was like, nah. Or Ghost Rider's car, I guess, from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But I was like, nah, nah. Let's just let's stick with the 80s. Adam said, let's stick with the 80s. Wow. All right, Jeremy. Oh, boy. Well, this will take place a couple years after Fate of the Furious. Cypher has disappeared, and Dom's team has been searching for her down every avenue they can. Finally, they get a clue, and the clue ends up leading them to figuring out the master plan. And... It's more or less an extension of what she did last time, except she's gone up a step. Cypher has now taken over the ISS, the International Space Station, and has (laughs) turned it into a nuclear satellite. Well, the Shaws, Hobbs, and Dom are headed to the ISS to attempt to take it back. The rest of the crew heads to a secret facility that Cypher has been operating out of lately in North Dakota. They find that Cypher has teamed up with a legend of the streets and car thefts, long thought dead, one Randall Memphis Reigns, played by Nicolas Cage. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, I also want to bring in like the Duke brothers from Dukes of Hazzard. What is it with us? Oh, goodness. (laughs) Well, I... I mean, they haven't been doing much. They've been doing car commercials of late. But, yeah, set half the movie out in the boondocks to where they could actually operate and make Nicolas Cage a villain. Now, is that his character from Gone in 60 Seconds or Drive Angry? No, that's his character from Gone in 60 Seconds. Okay. Because he's the only other one that I could think of that is so hell-bent on protecting his family. And we can build that in that that's the whole reason he did what he did in Gone in 60 Seconds was because they threatened his little brother, even though he was estranged and made terrible life choices (laughs) and got himself into trouble. His brother came, saved him, and took care of his problem. So uh, he'd be the only villain extreme enough because of family to play off of Dom's love of family i mean that's that's why dom does what he does because we're all family i don't got friends i got family that sounded more like stallone <laughs> yeah a little bit yeah well th- so they're all teaming up and they're gonna stop cypher they're going to space you didn't tell us they're actually gonna go to space are they well they do get there but i don't want to spoil the ending oh uh, we have to vote for him to get the ending i see how, it's, how we're playing this all right okay. But my title for the movie, if potentially this gives it away, 
is called Furiously Fatal. <laughs> they all burn up on re-entry. <laughs> exactly. Somebody exactly. has to die in this franchise Station on crashes. screen. Right. Yeah. Well, we've already got two <laughs> hackers, so is it going to be ludicrous? He's kind of redundant at this point. I don't know. Maybe my movie leads into Jeff's movie. Oh. <laughs> so the, the space station crashes into the Earth and devastates the Middle East. Exactly. Oh. Can't it just alter reality and lead into my movie then? Huh? Just crash all these universes together through some type of nuclear incident that rips a hole in the space-time continuum or the fabric of reality? <laughs> and out pops Jules uh, Brown. Jules Brown. <laughs> Downtown Jules Brown. <laughs> wow. Wubba, wubba, wubba. I'm in time travel, trubba, trubba, trubba. It's an old David Spade bit. Anyway. All right. Well, let's see where the votes land. Adam, where do you sit? I I was curious with Jeff, so I was just like, okay. So I, I, as soon as he was hunting for gasoline, I'm like, all right. So, But the problem is it gives me only vin diesel to focus on for the whole movie like he's right, our which you were avoiding yes <laughs> absolutely so i think just for that reason the fact that he's still part of an ensemble which means that we could actually give nicholas cage more screen time because we got to introduce him i gotta go with jeremy's pitch all right jeff where do you land Almost, well, no, for the exact opposite reason, because I feel like if you make a Fast and Furious movie without Vin Diesel, you're asking for trouble. So I would have to go with Jeremy as well. <laughs> well, Winner. who were you going to vote for, Jeremy? Come on. Uh, well, Jeff. Do it. Well, th this is what I always find so interesting is my pitches, I make them so off the wall on purpose because I just think it's more fun that way. But Jeff's are always cobbled together from existing material and somehow yeah. we, he gets more votes, I feel like, most of the time. <laughs> it's like, wait, you just want to see that movie again? Oh, okay, fine. You people. All right. So Jeremy's Furiously Fatal? Furiously Fatal. Well, now you got to give us the spoiler at the end because he won, so. Ah, uh, well, I would be taking Dom out. Come on, man. I voted reason. for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, okay, although, but, again, in, in this franchise, killing people is not a permanent exactly. situation. Exactly. I mean. <laughs> Unless you get cast as Wonder Woman, then there's no way you're coming back. So yeah. Giselle will stay dead, I'm sure. I thought about bringing her back for this. Because technically, we never saw a funeral for her. We saw one for Han. We didn't see one for Giselle. And the last we saw of her, she was just falling off the back of a car onto the runway. Maybe she survived? I mean, we all thought Letty was dead, dead, because she was in a car that blew up. <laughs> Much like we thought, we think Han is dead, because he was in a car. We saw him on fire, pinned in there, and it blew up. So, maybe she survived, and maybe she's got a vindictive uh, bent to her, and bring her back down the road. She'll just come back with amnesia. Exploding cars give you amnesia. You Falling off a car gives you amnesia. Right. It's just, and then she thinks think she's, she's an Amazon with superhero powers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, it all comes back together. Well, that was my one question, though, Jeremy, with Fast and the Furious in space. So does that mean that they're flying spaceships instead of racing cars? Or how do we race cars in space? 
there wouldn't be a car racing in space. I mean, the only one you could do would be if they were on the moon and they were racing like moon rovers. <laughs> Which, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Well, they'd have to have some sort of, like, gravity field generator that allows them to drive fast because their car can have, you know, gravity around it so it's not so weightless and all that. What if they make the the space station look massive so you can actually drive a car (laughs) through it? It's like Uh, a Star Destroyer from Star Wars. It just keeps going. Yeah. I picked the team that would go to the ISS for the fact of hand-to-hand and more or less the tactical team. So that would be where most of your action is. You would have a lot more of the car racing back with the other crew out in North Dakota where the secret facility is or they're racing to get there or there's a few races where they're all together tracking down the clues that lead them to splitting the team into two one to space one to north dakota at that point i would i kind of see it as a few movies down the road like fate of the furious they attempted to take dom out of it by making him the villain which that there's still too much play there so if you take him off the board with this movie and have the team actually have to deal with a loss of dom and you could tweak things enough with the dynamics to bring him back down the road without any big issue. So you would have Dom in this one, and it wouldn't be until the finale that he bites the dust, but make it heroic enough that there's possibility that he comes well, he back. Well, he comes back as Robo-Dom. It's very yeah. obvious. Yeah. You know, he's just... Right. <laughs> we can make him well, better, Well, or you do it, you do it like stronger. in Alien 3, where he has to sacrifice himself by jumping into a pool of lava, but then they just clone him. That Easy too, yeah. yeah. Well, so. no, but I feel like I want to understand uh, how they're getting to space, because I love the idea that they just have a mod kit for their cars no, that gives no, them rocket no, no, boosters, no. or there's a shuttle no. that was on its way, and they just get attached to it. You know, no, like at the last it's, second, they it's Mr. Nobody. attach themselves. No. Yeah, it's the secretive government black ops off the books agency led by Mr. Nobody. Wait, but is he getting like an actual shuttle for them to fly on? Is that how it's working? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I just, I, but you have to have a moment where like they're in there with actual astronauts that are their pilots taking them up, and then I, I just want him to see, like, oh, yeah, by the way, we added a little something. And after the boosters kick off, you know, uh, then they just hit <laughs> the dots, and then they're just like, <laughs> and they're just, like, flying through Okay, space. so maybe that's how they escape? Perfect. Okay. Yeah. From the ISS would be to mod something to get off. And, and kind of I saw it almost like Armageddon, but with the Fast and Furious crew. And the song by Aerosmith, push it I, over the top. Yeah, 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 and yeah. Liv Tyler crying. Yeah, or Fallout Boy, you know, whoever you uh, want to get. So now Nicholas Cage coming in and him being on the ground, and then Charlize Theron is up in space. So they're working together, is that right? Yeah, she has something on him. Okay, so she's the big boss. Yeah, she sought him oh, out okay. and brought him in because the only way to fight a bunch of car thieves is to bring in another car thief who can but do it he's gonna betray her at the end right uh i don't know i just thought he would die in a fiery car crash no yeah uh, <laughs> Isn't that how they go 
I, I He'll was... just be laughing maniacally as his skin burns off. <laughs> or you have one of those Indiana Jones moments where he like goes off a giant cliff and just <laughs> Wilhelm and scream. Yeah. Eaten by fire ants. Yeah. Well, I mean, the truth is, though, I don't think Jeremy's pitch is very far off. He's the one who predicted that there would be scrolls in the next phase of the Marvel <laughs> Universe, and now that's happening with Captain Marvel. So I think Jeremy's got his pulse on what very well could happen at this point. So, so this is just the next step where now she's pulling those strings from space and converting the station. In. They could also make vehicles sentient so that they can then <laughs> conquer the world. Well, that happened in Fate of the Furious. That was actually sort of part of my original plot. Yeah, they they actually control all the cars that have automatic driving GPS systems. Like, they actually exist now with a Tesla and stuff like that. Yeah. So Dom had, like, this army of cars that were, like, covering his tracks while he's doing what he, you know, what she's making him do. So all the Fast and the Furious crew are having to fight off these. They Basically, she goes, let's go zombie mode or whatever, you yeah. know? <laughs> zombie cars are flying out of a multi-story uh, car garage, out of, you know, out onto traffic. Like, she was just controlling every vehicle. And I kind of had that in this because I hadn't seen it yet. And I was like, oops, got to get rid of that. Nope, it's just mystical. <laughs> no zombies uh, yeah I, I mean I, I feel like you know you've kind of already pinpointed who we're adding to this you know but so Nicolas Cage is in there we don't know which way he's going to go by the end so that's and Dom is going to die so maybe Nicolas Cage does yeah there, there's also this rumored spinoff of The Rock and Jason Statham's characters although I heard that was in jeopardy because of The Rock's relationship he, with well yeah with so so there was a post-credit scene filmed to tease that. But once Vin Diesel found out about it, he threw a hissy fit. And so the studio scrapped it last minute. So it's still on the table. Some things need to be worked out. Because The Rock, like Jeff was indicating earlier, is pretty much as big a part of the franchise now as Vin Diesel. Which is why I think like if you kill him off, but you still have The Rock... You're pretty okay. Right. He was the glue. He was the inspiration, like you said. And then you have the next film where they have to deal with the loss. But you still have The Rock, you know. And so, to me, you know, Dwayne Johnson can carry any film. He's just enjoyable to watch. You know, whether you ever take him seriously, uh, I don't know <laughs> as much. But he, but he's at least, you know, got the charisma, the intensity that I don't think Paul Walker ever could deliver. You know, rest in peace, <laughs> Paul Walker. But I think if, when they tried to make him the head of the franchise, it just wasn't where they need to go. So that was the right choice. Well, he is considered a franchise steroids now yeah so furiously fatal there we go i like it although my one fear because i know you mentioned before about bringing the the dukes in <laughs> um and i feel like it's kind of neat that you can bring the actors in without saying that they're the specific yes. characters and then people would be like oh and it's so it's kind of like an inside joke but my one fear is well, although again, it's I would have thought it would have already happened when they brought Jason Stratham in, but it's just like, at what point does this start becoming the Expendables, where we just find every old action star we can and we throw it into this series? Like, does that work, or do we need to be like, not that the Dukes boys are action stars by any means, but um, that would be my only concern, I guess. So my thought in bringing them in, they would technically be labeled 
the twins and so they would drive a similar car to what they drove in the series but they would both have it they're kind of the mini bosses before the crew gets to Nicolas Cage they're like the so bad they're guy. evil I like that oh. yeah, yeah yeah that's who Nicolas Cage goes to get does Nicolas Cage my goodness I don't think he plays second fiddle anymore does he I think he only does movies that he's the star in. Do you know how many B or C or D level movies that he's yeah. in? Like, I, I go but on he's Netflix. he's always the star. I don't think he's ever the second fiddle. <laughs> I, I see so many movies with him. I'm like, I've never heard of this one. Well, I, I feel like the, it's time for him to reinvent himself, though. Yes. If he would reinvent himself and allow himself to be second fiddle. I mean, I, again, he outshines a lot of people just in quirkiness and you know intensity but i feel like uh he could probably fit in in a lot of interesting roles if he would allow himself so this could be the beginning of that next phase of his career where he gets some respect back for playing smaller parts so i just looked up his imdb there are 12 movies that he is scheduled to be in from the end of 2016 through 2018 wow Granted, most of the covers have his face on them, but well, here's the thing: we all we all know the tax troubles. His, yeah. uh, you know, Kalel, his son is going to be going to college pretty soon, I'm sure. <laughs> so he's got to save up for that. You know, it's just uh, there's a, there's a lot of business he's got to take care of. Yeah, we, I guess we haven't done any Nicolas Cage movies, have we? No. He gives us so much that how can you make a sequel? Although the one, <laughs> one of my favorite Nicolas Cage movies, and now we're completely off the topic of Fast and the Furious, <laughs> is The Rock. I wouldn't mind seeing a, a sequel to The Rock. Is it because of him or is it because of Sean Connery and Ed Harris? Actually, I think it's both. It is funny because it's, Every as a baseball fan, I know Jeremy, you're a baseball fan too. Yeah. Uh, one thing about my Dodger broadcasts is they love describing people as having good speed, and every time I hear that phrase, I can't stop hearing Sean Connery intentionally messing up his name so many times. Godspell, good speed, Godspell. <laughs> oh, so wonderful. Well, we'll have to work on that then. Add it to the list. Find a Nicolas Cage film. Nicolas Cage. Who directed The Rock? Wasn't that... Uh... That's Bay. That's, That's Michael, Michael Bay. Bay. Yeah. Back when... Isn't that Hans Zimmer? When Back when all of his scores sounded exactly the same? I think so. <laughs> they still do? <laughs> hey, well, not that's as much. Heresy, my friend. Not as much as Michael Giacchino, who does every other film that's not a Christopher Nolan film. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> Adam, what uh, what are we thinking to wrap up here? I live my life one goofy podcast at a time. Vroom, vroom, vroom. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 